Guys, I'm excited about one of the new sponsors of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Canyon Coolers is based right here in Arizona and makes premium roto-molded ice chests that work. The Outfitter Series coolers are made with near-vertical exterior walls to fit snugly into tightly packed hunting rigs without a lot of wasted space. They come at a fraction of the cost of some of the big-name brands. Canyon Coolers is a small operation. If you have a question... If you have a problem, you can pick up the phone and talk to a human being, not an answering service. Canyon Coolers offers the industry's only Vortex-like warranty, which is completely no-fault, no-hassle warranty for as long as you own the cooler. How can you beat that? It's literally the last ice chest you'll ever need to buy. Just for the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners, you save 10%. All you got to do is go to canyoncoolers.com and enter the J. Scott promo code at checkout, and you're going to get a 10% discount. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Jason Harrison, the founder of Kuyu. Jason, how you doing? Jay, I'm doing really good. Probably not as good as you because I'm not leaving in three days for my sheep hunt. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things you can prepare, and I have all summer, and I'm still doing some last-minute food stuff and what have you, but... Um, I don't know, these last couple of days, it's almost like they're the worst because you're ready to go and you're not really, you're kind of done preparing almost and it's like you're just looking at the clock going, okay, um, let's do this. <laughs> it's like when we were eight years old before Christmas, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you're just like, is absolutely. it going to get here? Is it going to get here? Isn't that cool, though? Oh, it's awesome. Um, you know, to we, be able we've to, got, you know, be a sheep, you know, there's a time when, you know, I've guided a lot of desert bighorn hunts and a few Rocky Mountain bighorn hunts and, you know, but to be able to call myself a sheep hunter, a personal sheep hunt, this is my first personal sheep hunt. Uh, and then, of course, so fortunate to have a second hunt following it up a month later in, in Alaska. But, you know, just the reverence that I have to be able to say that I, you know, once I go on this hunt, I am a sheep hunter um is to me it's just awesome i'm so looking forward to just the experience all the way around um you know i enjoy the prep so much but you know just getting up there and getting to see this country you know i've seen it on videos seen it on you know photos that you guys have taken and and i'm just pumped to get up there so i leave wednesday morning i head denver and then i fly out early thursday morning uh to edmonton and then on into Norman Wells, and then from there to base camp, and then hopefully, if the weather's good, base camp right out into the right out into the mountains. So um, I'm I'm pretty stoked. I'm excited to have you on. I've talked to Brendan, uh, had a good podcast with him. Um, mm-hmm. I've had uh, Ben Storak with Arctic uh, Red River on, and um, last time I saw you, Jason, was a couple weeks ago, and we were I came to Dixon and. Uh, for the Mountain Academy, mm-hmm. um, what was the feedback from, it was a great turnout, what was the feedback uh, from, you know, Kuyu as a company, what what kind of feedback did you guys get? Well, feedback was incredible. The, you know, we had a lot of stuff, you and I and others here, that just knowledge we take for granted because we've done it our whole lives is just it's second nature to us. You know, sharing that information to our customers always makes me realize how much value there is in providing them, you know, the smallest details 
of, of what we do or how we prepare or information and how grateful our customers are. And, you know, it's, uh, it was really, really cool to see how many people showed up. And it was obviously in a really, really hot day on a Saturday. Uh, but <laughs> and how, as you saw it, how many people were taking notes and after yeah, the seminar, crazy. pulling you and the other guys aside, and, and it was—it's just those moments for me, and, and what I'd get to do with Kuyu, and really my goal with Kuyu is to help our customers in any way we possibly can to make sure they have the best experience in the mountains as possible, and just, you know to get feedback like we had that day is just really cool. It was so rewarding, and uh, we're mm-hmm. absolutely going to be doing it again next year. After you know, one of the things. I've heard you talk, I've had you on podcasts, I've heard you give speeches and what have you, but I have to say your final um, talk, which I also reposted on my podcast, uh, and it's on the um, YouTube channel, uh, was one of the best presentations that I've heard as far as there was so much emotion in the address, and I don't know if you you were trying for that or if it just comes bleeding out of you uh, but when you talk about sheep hunting and you talk about the reason the, 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 the core behind Kuyu and why you do what you do it was just coming out of you so I highly encourage anyone who hasn't listened to it um, go check it out um, but Jason you know, what is it with, with sheep hunting that just stirs you up because you could tell you were you it was right on your shirt sleeve you were wearing your emotion of how much you love it on your shirt sleeve well i think it's my love for hunting and my love for the mountains and the experience and then you know as you'll get to experience sheep hunting is that ultimate test and i've always been competitive uh in sports you know competitive in business but um you know, I didn't truly understand, um, in business at least, with Kuyu, you know, when you, in, in Sitka to begin with, when you love something deeply, how, you know, the you kind of gauge success in a different way, and then um, it's all because you just love what you get to do every day. And I think for me and, and, and this brand and, and sheep hunting, it's the ultimate test as a hunter, it's the ultimate test because it's gonna it's gonna be the the most emotionally, physically demanding experience of your life. At least um, it has been for me. And it's those moments when it truly tests you as a hunter, tests you as a person, tests your resolve, tests your gear and equipment. And the experience you get on the back end of that is is absolutely incredible. And, you know, it's, sheep hunting is not for everybody. You know, and I think Jack O'Connor stated in his book, you know, you're going to find out if you're a sheep hunter. And you're either a sheep hunter or you're not. It's not a, a activity that you're going to um, occasionally do. You're either going to do it once and never do it again, or it's all you're going to want to do. And I remember my first sheep hunt at Arctic Red, and I shot my first ram and walk up on it. We're sitting there, and the experience of that created for me and everything about it i just was like i have to do this again like this is the most amazing thing i've ever i've ever done and i pull out the sat phone out of my pack and the guy goes oh are you calling your wife or your dad i said no i'm trying to get a hold of base camp i want to book 
a hunt for next year and make sure he doesn't that he's got an extra spot because I got to come back and do this. <laughs> and uh, it's it's just there's 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 so much invested in sheep hunting. Um, at least the way I go about it because I want to maximize my experience. I want to make sure that you know um, that I'm in shape. That I've got the right gear. That um, I bring the right food so I can totally take advantage of that experience. And then it, for me, it's just a challenge, right? It's like, how in shape can I get? And where can I make improvements physically, mentally, in preparation, in nutrition, um, in the products that I design and make? Because I learned so much about Kuyu products um, or come up with new ideas on these trips. It's just, it's, it's just the, ultimate, it's the ultimate hunt, at least for me. And, um, yeah, and, I, and I think one of the things that's really cool and genuine about what you've got going on there at Kuyu and from your beginnings there is, like, you're a mountain hunter. Like, that's what you think about. That's what pushes you. That's your passion. Yes, you're the mm-hmm. founder of Kuyu. Yes, you make incredible gear. Yes, you strive to make things lighter and more durable and, you know, easier to use. But the core of that, which is, you know, it's one of those things, and I see it every time I'm around you, is you're not, you are totally focused on your mountain hunt, and you make mm-hmm. great gear because of that. It's not Absolutely. the other way around. You don't, Mm-mm. you don't uh, make, you know, your main focus is making great gear, and then, oh, yeah, I'll go on a couple hunts. Like, you are focused on mountain hunting, and because of that, that's what will and Correct me if you think any differently, but from my perspective, my perspective is, you know, you focus your gear preparation and all the gear that you create around your passion of mountain hunting and trying to do it better. Absolutely, and it's not—it's beyond mountain hunting. I mean, I what we what I focus on is what you're about to do, which is you know the ultimate challenging mountain hunt in the most remote places on earth most challenging conditions and weather and building gear that will perform at the at the when you're it when the mountains are at its worst and you can trust it and count on it and and that has you know that's the standard that's the bar um it's the ultimate bar of of quality and performance kuyu and that's that's what i live and breathe for and um you know, I get people that, you know, this, this business has, has grown incredibly fast, much faster than I ever predicted, that say, you know, what, how, you know, how did, how did this happen? Like, how did you build an online brand when no, direct-to-consumer when no one is even going to market in that concept? Um, and how did, you know, what leads to your success? I'm like, it's love. I absolutely love what I do, and I love the sheep hunts that I'm building gear for, and it's truly my passion and my love for everything about it that has allowed this brand to, to turn out the way, you know, is the success of the byproduct of that is what I say, you know. It's never about the money. I mean, I, I would do it for free, what I get to do every day. Yeah. And, um, and that's, you know, that's what drives, that's what drives me. And uh, I just feel so fortunate that I'm a hunter and that... I, I, that I'm a sheep hunter, they get to go sheep hunting every year, because it doesn't, for me, I'm always thinking about either my upcoming hunt or the next hunt, and product gear, preparation, it forces you to stay in shape year-round, it forces you to 
to you know count every gram or ounce that's going in your pack because it makes a difference and i just think that's fun yeah absolutely. i think it's fun and with all, with having all a sport that, that said, keeps your mind in it that far for sure and you're mentally engaged at all times because yep. you're always thinking about the next adventure yep with that with all that being said though jason your gear can be used for lots of other applications and lots of other hunts oh of and course I think there has been criticism before about, well, why don't you branch into, you know, XYZ waterfowl hunting? Why don't you go into whitetail? Why don't you go into mm-hmm. this, that, or the other? And and it's almost like, from my perspective, there's a lot of brands out there that are trying to focus on lots of different things. They're trying to, you know, make as much money as they can. They're trying to spread out, go as wide as possible um, to try and cover every genre, every, you know, know, application out there. Whereas it seems like you seem to be very, very focused on sheep hunting, mountain hunting, and then Mm -hmm. not that the gear isn't, you know, framed or focused for other types of hunting, Talk about going that depth, you know, trying to, to not get too wide and trying to cover every hunt or application out there and trying to cover specifically how that has been such a driving force in Kuya. Well, for a couple couple reasons, Jay. Um, you know, I'm, a, I'm fascinated by brand building, student of watching other brands that have been successful that I use for inspiration, and the brands that that I that I that I really um, believe have done things correctly are the brands that have a narrow focus, and the, uh, and not a brand that tries to do lots of different types of products or, or products for a bunch of different things. And that's one reason. The other reason is, um, you know, I want this brand to, to stand. For, for what it is today and in the future. And the standards of building product to go on a northern sheep hunt, self-supported for 14 days, um, that standard allows our product to perform on any other hunt in the world and perform incredibly well. Can you go shoot ducks in our stuff? Absolutely. Can you go sit in a tree stand with our product? I've been told it works fantastic. Um, But for me, you know, I want to build product... Um, for sheep hunting because I love it. I like waterfowl hunting. I do it with my son. I've done it since my days in college. I like waterfowl hunting, but I don't love it and, and have a passion about it and a fanaticism about it like I do for sheep hunting. And um, you know that's why I believe you know that's what I believe in building a brand, staying narrowly focused, focusing on products and gear for the for the uh, um, for an activity that is the pinnacle. And and not diluting the brand by designing products for other activities and hunting. Could we design really amazing waterfowl gear? Sure. My my argument to it is, is uh, on that as well is I can. It would be really good. But I, but sitting in the in the marsh shooting ducks, I can't create a massive performance advantages for our customers that would choose Kuyu for that versus what's, what else is out there. Because you just need to stay warm. You need to stay dry. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. And you don't need the the performance and technical advantages of the materials 
and what we put into our product for mountain sheep hunts. And the same with, with whitetail hunting. Could we build beautiful whitetail product and have it work and function well? I'm sure we could. And we could probably do it um, for less money with a better product than the competition. But again, if you're just trying to stay warm sitting in a tree, I can't create a massive performance advantages with Kuyu like I can hunting mountains. And um, and that's just kind of my belief in, in Kuyu and where I want to take it. And I just want to stay focused and obsessed with continually trying to improve the products we're making for, for sheep hunting. And I can make a big difference for our customers on a sheep hunt, a huge difference. I mean, we've taken, you know, be- before I started Kuyu, my pack going in on the hunt you're going to do was weighing between 60 to 65 pounds. And now it's 40 pounds. We've taken 20 to 25 pounds out of my pack by developing products specifically focused around reducing weight um, to maximize performance all through design and materials. And that's, what I, that's just what I love, and that's what I'd like to focus on. I believe that's, you know, and for Kuya, that's, that's what it, where it's going to remain. Speaking of performance, um, I noticed your latest Instagram post, and, and, and I know when I was there a couple weeks ago, you were telling me about um, the UC Davis uh, Sports Performance Lab. You've been spending quite a bit of time down there, and mm-hmm. uh, Judd Ben Sickle has, has created a program for you of diet, um, which is something that um, I'm very interested in. I would say that I'm going to be going on these two sheep hunts um, not with a, a real, you know, diet-focused um, performance level, and I'm going to see what happens. But, I, you know, I'm sure after I go do these two hunts, I'm going to need to make some changes in my own diet. Can you talk a little bit about, it's probably a 10-hour discussion, but can you talk a little bit about your work at UC Davis Sports Performance um, Lab and what you've learned basically in a nutshell that, you know, is going to work for your body? Sure. Yeah, I'll get to the diet aspect, but, you know, it started with um, me reaching out to, to Judd to better understand how weight impacts performance with PAC. And, you know, we we've be, began a study last year trying to start to measure it because we're, you know, we, I can tell our customers weight matters, and it does. And it's proven, like in professional uh, bike racing, that, you know, that every ounce matters in climbing hills. They've proven it through sports science. But there isn't a modern-day study to understand what a pound, extra pound in your pack does to us on a mountain hunt. And that's where it's, it, that's really what, got me to the lab and what we started, you know, the initial testing that we've done and we're still doing to try to determine and pr- provide data so we can actually truly understand it. As working with him on that study, I started picking his brain a little bit about training and nutrition. And, you know, Judd works with the best and top endurance athletes in the world, guys that ride the Tour de France, guys that compete in Ironman, guys that do ultra marathons. And, um, and so, you know, I set it up with him to come in and get baseline tested in January and then use sports science and use his knowledge of training endurance athletes and apply it to my training going into the sheep hunt and get tested again, which I'll do before I leave, to see the areas of improvement using sports science, using his background, can make um, this year versus last year. 
And that's kind of what my curiosity and what started it. And I've learned a ton during this, the last four months and working with Judd on this program. And you know, what I didn't understand was the science behind nutrition and endurance athletics and how important it is, probably more than even the training regimen he's put me on. But it's, it's, um, it's been proven through sports science that um, a fat, high fat-based, low-carbohydrate diet using training methods to stress your body to, to burn fat, either the fat that's ingested or switch over to its own fat reserves within your body, and how, how much better you can perform over a long period of time if your body is using fat for fuel versus carbohydrates and how you feel, your mental acuity, um, and, and your overall endurance performance on fat is significantly better than carbohydrates. And that's something new for me. I didn't understand that. I didn't even know that that's what he would do for my training regimen going into this hunt. It would be, it would be so focused on, on diet and training to force my body to adapt to burning fat. But I tell you what, it's, it's made a massive improvement on how I feel during my training. And um, so going into this hunt, I'm already starting to work on my menu to put together a high-fat, low-carbohydrate diet for, for my upcoming hunt, which I'll work on and create a food list and I'll be putting up on our site for guys to review. But, um, man, what a difference it's made. And the other thing he's, he's taught me in, in training for this hunt is I was completely overtraining. I was doing cardio six days a week of some, of some sort. You know, I was doing an interval day. I was doing an you know, hour-long run on a treadmill. Then I'd do a 30-minute speed run and then something else. And then I'd do a big cardio event on the weekend and only take one rest day. And usually by this time in my training going into the hunt, I was plateaued. I was tired. And I just would think, okay, you just got to push harder. You got to push harder. Um, and a lot of times going to hunt, I'd either be hurt or just kind of just worn out um, because I push myself so hard. He's back. He the training program he's put together for me. I'm doing two interval days a week and one big cardio event on the weekend, and that's it. And the difference it's made is every single week I'm making a significant improvement, and I feel fresh. I feel good, um, and I'm not injured. And it's going to make a massive difference for this upcoming hunt. Specifically, um, when you talk about your interval training, so in between your interval training, you actually have days where you're, are, are you not doing any activity, like, you know, no, um, I'm no doing, weight that's lifting, when I do my no weight, running? No, I'm, okay. I'm doing my weight training, no cardio training. Okay, okay. Um, but I am taking two full days off a week from any training, which is rare for me um, and different for me. But, uh, yeah, I do the, the intervals, and the, the intervals are to push your aerobic threshold, or essentially your VO2 max. And then the long cardio day, I get up in the morning. Um, I don't eat, so I'm fasted from the night before. And then I'll throw on a pack um, going in you know, the last three months, and I'll go hike for between three and four hours with no food, just water. And then when I thin, and that's to force my body to use up any fat reserves from 
from food from the day before and then forcing your body to switch over to burning its own fat for fuel. And then when I'm done with that um, training, um, I go. I come home, and he, he his deal is you know you stay fasted as long into the afternoon as you can get as you can go before you just you, you know eventually you just got to eat. And um, you know just in the training event from last year to this year on my my long cardio days, you know when I uh, when I would finish last year, I, I mean it was it was cross-eyed, I was starving. I would go to the nearest Jamba Juice and slam two big Jamba Juice. Just I had to have fuel. When I'm done now, I'm not cross-eyed i'm not starving i'm not dying for fuel and um it's just a significant difference in 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 my performance what is your body as far as composition has your body changed at all has your you know have your muscle tone or or anything have you noticed any big differences in the last couple months doing this you know when I first switched over to this, last year. Hi, yeah, when I first switched onto this diet, figuring out a menu that got me enough calories kind of was hard at first because it was new. And so actually, you know, I went through the DEXA testing where they did a full, um, basically it's like going through an X-ray machine. It tells your whole body comp. I was, I was had um, only three percent body fat, which I, you know, I've always struggled um entire life you know holding body weight and putting body weight on when i played football but i didn't realize i was that lean and so he's actually he said we need to put a little bit of fat you need to be more like eight or nine percent if you can get there um and it's hard with the training but i actually have put on about three pounds of fat um which is less than what he was hoping to get me to but you know as my training's increased i just it's hard to put put any more weight on at this point but um but I haven't noticed, so I leaned out at first and put weight, a little bit of weight back on. Other than that, I haven't noticed, you know, any, you know, drastic physical or body composition changes other than I just feel better. And um, during my training and, and in between my training, I, feel, I just, my body feels healthier and better. Um, I notice that at work in the afternoons, I'm not starving. I'm not going for food or fuel um, because my body is burning fat. What specifically, like during the day, or, or what is your meal structure from, say, breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Not not for the hunt, but what you know, last couple months with this new diet. Like, what are you primarily eating? Give us an example of, of how it works from you know, start you, to finish. You can have yeah, high fat. You can have dairy. So a lot of, a lot of times for breakfast for me, it's eggs with cheese in it, and um, you can have berries. They're not too high in carbohydrates. The whole goal is to be under ten percent. For me, you know, keto, uh, if you're in ketosis, it's below, it's ten percent or below carbs on your diet. He wants me to be, you know, in the fifteen percent carbohydrate range. Um, he doesn't want me to be in ketosis, and the reason for that is if you need to go anaerobic, your body needs to switch over to carbohydrates to have fuel for for going anaerobic. So if you got to push a big climb, you're not going to have gas. In the system, in your system, to to go anaerobic or go deep into your anaerobic threshold, and so that's the reason not to be on ketosis for me and what I'm doing. Um, so, um, you know, for, for with that in mind, you know, my meals can still have a little bit of carbohydrates, but not a lot. But so for for breakfast, a lot of times it's eggs, or I'd make a smoothie with whole Greek yogurt, not non-fat, not flavored. Um, 
I'll put a big, huge scoop of almond butter in it. I'll put some almonds in there as, um, along with almond butter. Uh, and then uh, you can, if you want to add some sweetener, some, some non-sugar sweetener like NutraSweet to add some, some sweetness to it, then I'll blend that. I'll have that if I'm not doing eggs, which is very low in carbs and high in fat. Uh, for lunch, I'll either have, I'll have like a chef salad with eggs and hard-boiled eggs and avocado and chicken, and then uh, I'll put like a vinegar and oil type of dressing on it for lunch. And then for dinner, it's, you know, it's just avoiding starches. So it's having a meal and, and just not putting, not having rice or baked potato if, it's a, if you have a steak dinner or, um, or if you're having, you know, chicken, just have chicken and vegetables. And then a night before I go to bed, I'll eat, you know, cottage cheese. You can get the whole-fat cottage cheese, the high-fat cottage cheese, and I'll have something like that for dessert or I'll make my smoothie for dessert. Uh, sometimes if I don't have it for breakfast. And then RX bars are, are bars that have 10% carbohydrates in them, and I'll eat those during the day if I, get, if I need something in between the meals. How do you foresee your hunt meal that you're going to be putting on the Kuyu site? How do you see that? Um, obviously, you probably haven't designed it yet, but how do you see that shaken out compared to other meal plans that you've done on prior years on hunts? Well, the, you know, for, I like to bring some, some meal replacement bars. I've used pro bars a lot in the past because they have between three and 400 calories per bar. And all, what, what will be different is I, as I'm choosing what I'm going to put in there is just focusing on finding food that is high in fat and the carbohydrate amount in a let's say in a bar is you know in that 15 10 to 15 percent range in the past i didn't wasn't something i focused on i, I did try to find bars and f food that were higher in fat but i didn't just because they were higher in calorie count so i'm always focusing on trying to maximize my calories per ounce at you know last year as i think i was at around 132 calories per ounce in my food on average and and, but not focusing on just looking at fat versus carbohydrate content. So that's going to shift a little bit on my choices. Instead of bringing like a bagel with peanut butter for lunch, you know, I'll keep the bread out of it and um, find something that I can replace that with that's, that's lower in carbs and higher in fat. So it's, but it's going to be kind of tough. And then the dehydrated dinner. So like a salami or, or a meat of some sort? Yeah, exactly. Salami meat, um, um, Bring in almond butter and finding something that I can that I can put it on to to eat it, or they make those individual almond butter packets, and just just taking that and you can just squeeze it right in your mouth for for high fat fuel, and um, you know lots of nuts and you know items like that that are just you know really high in fat, and then the dehydrated breakfast, uh, I'll do the skillet breakfast from from Mountain House and I'll bring cheese. Um, and put it in the in the breakfast, and then cheese is another great high fat um, fuel to bring on your hunts. And the individual cheese, you know, cheese. A lot of people think it has to be refrigerated; it doesn't. And there's um, you know cheese that are all individually wrapped in its own packages. And I'll have a lot of cheese in my in my daily diet as well. And I'll add cheese to my dehydrated dinner at night to increase the fat content. Good stuff. I'm uh, 
I've got macadamia nuts. I've got almonds. I've got uh, Pro Bar. Um, yep. I've got uh, turkey jerky, uh, beef jerky, uh, and then I, I have a, mount, or a breakfast skillet um, in the morning, and then, you know, kind of the, uh, I think it's chicken, chicken fajita bowls, um, mm-hmm. and, and such for the evening for the mountain houses, so I'm not too yep. far off from you. Do you, do you bring any, um, you know, chews, you know, honey stinger chews, or do you bring any, like, a candy bar, or are you just totally not doing any of the sugar stuff? I'm not doing any of the sugar stuff this year. And what, what I've, and what in I've learned... In years past, have you brought, you know, absolutely. Like one candy bar? Oh, I bring a couple. Okay. I'd bring, you know, I like, um, you know... Reese's peanut butter cups I'd bring. I'd bring a Snickers bar, and I'd have a couple of those for every day. I won't have that now. And the reason what, what I've learned from Judd is when your body is using carbs for fuel, it is relying, it's, it's relying on those carbohydrates for fuel. As, as your carbohydrates get burnt, right, as, you, as your body is going through those carbohydrate reserves and your body hits about half tank, it starts warning your system starts making you not feel good and will continue to to make you feel worse to the point when you've we've all had those moments where you're just like i have to eat like i have to stop climbing and i need to take my pack off and i need to eat something because your body's freaking out because your carbohydrates are are getting too low right um and when you then you juice it back up with a candy bar or some sort of sugar because that's what your body wants first because it's it's an energy and then throw your pack back on, and pretty soon you got to stop and eat again. And um, if you if you have shifted your body to burning fat, that doesn't happen. And you can go a lot longer in between meals and still feel good. And the other thing your body will do, and I don't know if you've ever completely bonked, but I've had it happen several times on mountain hunts, it's when your body that's addicted to carbs for fuel has completely burned out all of its carbs, all of its carb reserves within your within your body, and now it has to shift to burning fat suddenly, and is not used to it. Your body bonks to slow you down to a pace that it can function off of burning fat because it's not used to it, and that's a bonk. And I've had it uh, a few times. I mean, you literally can walk, you know, at a half pace. You feel terrible, and there's nothing you can do about it other than than rest and recover. But once you once you bonk, um, yeah, you're done for that day. And um, as far as you know, having any energy to just do anything other than just get back to camp, and that doesn't happen if you train and force your body to adapt to burning fat for fuel and not rely on carbs. Well, it makes total sense. Um, I'm excited to see you after this hunt that you go on yeah. uh, and how your body performs. I'm sure you're curious. I'm, I'm sure you know how it's going to perform, but it's always nice to actually, you know, put oh, yeah. 10, 10 or 10 days or 14 days under your belt and say, it, you know, this is what it did do. This is, you know, exactly. it performed better, it performed worse. Here's how we can tweak it. Yeah. Uh, no, I know. I'm fascinated by it. There's, you know, you can do a lot of training, but you can't replicate a sheep hunt in training. It's impossible. 
and that's you know that's tr- the true test, and um, it'll be interesting to see how I feel. You know, they they figured this out, the fat diet out back in the seventies. East German scientists said lab rats. They, this is how they figured this out. It's pretty crazy. They they fed uh, a, a group of lab rats nothing but carbohydrates, and another group of lab rats nothing but fat over a period of time. They took the rats and put it in a pool of water and let and forced them to swim to exhaustion. And the rats that were fed carbohydrates um, failed. I think it was like. Uh, uh, or excuse me, the, the the rats that were fed fat survived swimming in the water like three times longer than the rats that were fed carbohydrates. Um, it makes make that significant difference in endurance and being able to perform over a long period of time um, by by your body burning its own fat as fuel. That's the, the back in the 70s. That's these Germans figured that out for endurance athletics, and it's just grown from there. The study of it. That's wild. That's, that's I know. That says enough right there. I mean, it does. Um, I'm sure they, yeah, that's, that's pretty interesting. But you sure. can't just go into hunt and say, okay, I'm just going to bring fat without pre- preparing your body in the, uh, uh, you know, through training right. and through diet ahead of time. Otherwise, you're just going to feel like crap. Right. That, that was one thing I was so I don't recommend you. anybody listening to this right now going, okay, I'm just going to bring a high-fat diet, low-carb diet on my right. hunt because I just learned that it makes a difference. It, you will actually perform worse if you do that and yeah. your body's not used to it. When you talk about these cheeses, um, are you talking like um, cheddar cheese, like mm-hmm. like stick, like they're in their own individual package, and then you're going to put exactly. that, you're going to warm up your mountain house, and you're actually going to either cut that or just put the whole thing in there and, and stir it up and eat it? Yeah. there's If you go in the, in the cheese aisle, there's a packages of either cheese sticks, or they even make cheese like rectangle squares that are individually packaged, and that's what I bring. Okay, and I've done it where I've taken slices and put in a Ziploc bag. They actually become kind of a greasy mess, and the grease actually goes through the Ziplocs. If you buy the prepackaged individual, either slices or sticks, that doesn't happen. And that's a if you don't have it in your menu, you should put it in there, Jay. It makes there's something about cheese that really helps settle your stomach, and they're really high in fat, and it's a great great food source in the mountains. Brendan's got me. Um I've got this, you know, basically dry salami, yep. um, you know, that he says buy in the non-refrigerated aisle. Um, yep. And then, you know, the little bagel fins, which you wouldn't eat because you're going to cut out the carbohydrates. Not this um, year. Yeah. yeah. And I don't eat a ton of bread as it is. I'm wondering if it would be better for me to, you know, just cut out the bagel because I really don't eat bread. Um, I'm wondering if it would be better for me to just do cheese and salami and just eat it as is rather than putting it on little um, bagel thins, um, the little half bagels. Or maybe I should just do, you know, maybe one every other day or something with the bagel thins because um, I really don't eat that much bread anyway. You know what I'm saying? Well, if you got to make like, a choice so between the two... Choose cheese over the bagel thin. If you if you've already got your weight, you know you're at two or a little over two pounds per day. And you need to re- if you got to replace something or make a choice, choose the cheese over the bagels, for sure. Okay. Um, sometimes it's kind of nice. You can cut up the salami and throw some cheese um, on the bagel and make a little sandwich out of it. That's um, 
That's always nice to do. Yeah, but, that's what I was know. planning to do. With, yep. I was planning to do cheese, salami on the little bagel yeah. pins, and every day make just a little mini sandwich. Yeah, I mean, you're going to um, need, need carbs, and that's always better than just living on, you know, candy bars or, or something like that for carbohydrates. The, the breads uh, will yeah. stay with you longer, and the high sugars, you know, you'll burn through. So uh, I wouldn't say that you, you need to replace it. it you know, those, having some bread in, in, a, in your diet would be good. Okay, I want to um, I want to take a quick second here to hear from the sponsors, but then I want to get into actual my gear list and have you. Um, there's a couple of items that I'm kind of on the fence which which piece to take. Um, so let's take a quick Perfect. break and then we'll get right back to it. Guys, I want to thank Kuyu.com. That's K-U-I-U.com for their sponsorship of this podcast. And Kuyu Ultralight Hunting makes the best ultralight hunting products on the market today from items like the peloton 240 full zip hoodie the chugach nx rain jacket and the super down ultra jacket which will be going on my hunts to the northwest territories here soon if you're talking about kuyu pants some of the pants that i like are the guide pant that's for colder weather hunts like down in january on my coos deer hunts you've got the Tiburon pant for the warm season hunts. That's got the air dock technology where it breathes really well. You've got the attack pant, which is probably their number one selling pant. You've got their new pro pant, which is their all season, all terrain hunting pant with a new quiet ultra suede foam line knee pad. It has four way stretch. It only weighs 19.6 ounces. It's got the Torre DWR water repellency. It's got the Torre Make Spec for odor control. Kuyu's rain gear is the best on the market in my opinion. I routinely wear the Chugach NX rain pant and rain jacket. Uh, I also have worn on some of the lower 48 hunts the Ultra NX rain pant and jacket. Some of the other pieces you've got to check out or are the Peloton, which is their synthetic version, either the 130 zip-off bottoms or the 200 zip-off bottoms. They also make them in a 145 merino wool or a 210 zip-off bottom merino wool. These are so convenient. You can leave your boots on. You just drop your pants, unzip your long underwear, and you're off and running again. Another amazing product are the Tiburon shorts. If you see any of the pictures of me in the summer on my Instagram account, 99.9% of the summer I'm wearing Tiburon shorts on all my hiking, all my fishing excursions. It's got the Air Air Dot technology. Uh, They breathe really well. They're very well fitted, and uh, you guys should check them out. The Tiburon short, fantastic product from Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Kuyu has an amazing selection of products from jackets and vests, pants and shorts, shirts and tops, footwear, accessories, lifestyle apparel. They have a wide range of packs from the Icon Pro to the Ultra, the sleep system, the Kuyu sleeping bag I use on all my hunts, and then the the tents, the Mountain Star two-person tent, the Storm Star tent, just phenomenal gear. Make sure to go to Kuyu, that's K-U-I-U dot com, and check out all of the phenomenal gear that they provide. I want to thank the Outdoorsmans.com for their sponsorship of my podcast. I want to let you guys know they are the optics authority. And if you're looking for any binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, make sure to get a hold of the guys at the Outdoorsmans. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you get a 10% discount on all Outdoorsmans products. Go to Outdoorsmans.com or you can call them at 1-800-291-8065. 
Okay, Jason, let's go over my gear list here. And before we do okay. that, I did a podcast with Ben Storak, who is a guide for Arctic Red River, and he told me to – the one thing I was kind of um, questioning was where do I base my weather off of? You know, what, what am I going to be facing? Uh, and it looks like um, – I'll just give you a rundown. He told me to check Norman Wells weather and Old Crow. He said kind of average mm -hmm. those two. So when I get there, um, Saturday it's supposed to be 75 as a high in Norman Wells, 54 as a low, sunny. Uh, Sunday, 76, 55, and then kind of steadily Monday, 69, Tuesday, 67, Wednesday, 64. Um, so, you know, it's going to start out warm and get steadily a little bit cooler. And then if I look at Old Crow, um, Friday is 72, Saturday 73, Sunday 65, Monday 64. The first sign of rain, according to these two um, little towns, is Tuesday. It's going to be 61 and 42. And then Wednesday it shows sun and a little bit of cloud, 65 and 46. Mm-hmm. My biggest thing is I've seen some temperatures over the last month as I've been monitoring. I've seen some temperatures, you know, up in the upper 70s and even hit 80s. It seems like this weather, actually, that I'm going to have so far, I can only go out till you know, next Wednesday, is that, you know, kind of 75 is a high to, you know, maybe 61 is a low. Obviously, I don't know where these two cities are in relation to, you know, elevation and mountains, but these are the two that you told me to keep my eye on. So, you know, basically between that 60 and 75 is a high. Um, in your mind, your experience up in that country, is that kind of average temperatures for this first season? Or would you say it's actually maybe even a touch cooler than some of, you know, last year they were talking about they had 80-degree days. Yeah, last year was unseasonably hot. I mean, I was up when I was up in BC hunting. It was you know, the start of the hunt. We had you know more typical weather, but the last um, I think seven days of our hunt it got you know, uh, like incredibly hot and unusually hot for for up in the mountains. And I and I know it, it that heat was in you know all through the Yukon and the Northwest Territories. So that was an unusual summer last year. Um, what's your what you're telling me uh, is more typical, and I think, you know, hearing that you're getting temperatures in Norman Wells below 70 in mid-60s is a really good thing. It's going to make it a much better hunt. The animals will move around much better, and obviously climbing mountains <laughs> in cooler temperatures is much better for you. One thing you, you'll, you'll notice is if it's 70 in Norman Wells, it's going to be 60 probably at base camp, um, and right. then cooler the higher you get in elevation. So those are, I mean, that's really encouraging. You're getting those types of cooler temperatures for this you yeah, know, I mean, middle I know of July because it can get hot that time of year. Yeah, I mean, it seems like from what from what I've, you know, my research is it seems like actually the weather's looking pretty darn good for this hunt, mm -hmm. um, which is awesome. I want to talk about, I'll kind of go through my top, my bottom. Brendan sent me his gear list, and I'll talk about the stuff in my pack. Yeah. And just um, and real quick, on the note, yeah, yeah, just on the note of weather for me on that, you know, any type of sheep hunt, it doesn't change what I put in my pack. You got to be prepared okay. in that country for anything, as you know. And okay. um, I think one of the advantages to the that early hunt 
you know, that begins in the middle of July up north is yet have a tendency to get to avoid the really big storms that can sock you in and put you in a tent for days on end, which um, is an advantage to that early hunt. But you still, you know, I, I'd still pack the same unless you're going like into September and then you're going to get some, you know, potentially some really cold conditions. But yeah, take me through your kit. Okay, sounds good. So for the top, obviously, um, Kuyu Chugach rain jacket's always going to be in my pack. Uh, rain pants always in my pack. Um, yeah, I'm going to take. Yep. I'm, I'm going to take one. I like the Merino 145 Zip Tee, the Ultra Merino. Yep. My question is, I I'm planning on just taking one shirt. I'm also taking the 97 Peloton hoodie. If I if for whatever reason my one shirt I had you know it got wet or I had you know let's say I had to you know, hang it to dry. I could always wear the 97 as, as my next to skin. The question was, well, I'll go through it and then I'll come back to my question. Uh, I'm going to take the guide glove, the Peloton 200 glove, the Peloton 240 beanie, Kuyu cap. I'm going to take the Merino neck gaiter and I always will have the super down, um, well, all the super down pant in my pack at all times. I can't decide whether I'm going to take the Super Down Pro or the Ultra. I think from the weather that I'm seeing, I should just take the Ultra jacket and leave the Pro for the Chugach hunt in August. Uh, what are your thoughts jacket on for sure? Um, yeah, a couple thoughts. Ultra jacket and pant for sure. You won't need the, yep. the Super Down Pro. Right. Um, you won't need the Peloton 200 glove. Unless you just like it for some particular reason, um, I you'll live in the guide glove. Um, it's what I designed it for, and you're you won't need anything. Um, at least I don't, because my hands don't get cold very easily. More than um, your guide glove on that hunt. Okay. But again, if you like the two hundred for a particular reason, there's you know, they don't weigh a lot. Throw them in, but you won't need it because of cold because it's cold. In my opinion, okay. I might I might just take that out. The one question I had was, should I take two Ultramarino 145 Zip Tee? I like the Zip Tee because it comes up a little higher on my neck, gives me a little sun protection, and I just like the way Merino feels against my skin. Uh -huh. The question is, should I take the 240 Peloton hoodie, or should I take an extra shirt? In other words, I, I well, I was planning to take the 97 and a Merino 145 and either leave the 240 um, leave the 240 hoodie, what would you do? I, so I always bring two base layer shirts, especially if I'm in Merino because Merino doesn't dry quickly. And okay, so you would bring two 145 zip tees. Absolutely. Well, what I, what I would bring is I'd bring a, um, a Merino, um, the lighter weight Merino we have, I think it's the 130, yeah. and then I would do a short sleeve, 130, and then I would bring the uh, Zip T 145 because you can wear those two together if you had to. Okay. Right, and then if it gets really hot, you got a short sleeve shirt, which is actually kind of nice to have in that country sometimes. The the temperatures do climb, and the reason I always bring a second base layer is you get back to camp, it's been pouring rain, you get in late, and you got to jump your sleeping bag. It's nice to put on a dry shirt and have one to change yep. out. Not that you have to with Merino because of odor, but going to sleep in a soaking wet Merino wool shirt, um, sometimes, uh, for me at least, is something that I like to put on a dry, dry, dry base layer shirt if it's, if it's soaking wet when I get back to camp. 
Um, yeah, and that makes a lot of sense. I actually just went into my closet here and grabbed a uh, short sleeve, and it makes sense to have. I could always double them up if I needed it, or yep. if you know, I wanted to let one air out, I could leave one and wear the short sleeve, or if it, if the temps were just super hot, I could always just wear the short sleeve and leave the 145. So exactly. with that, would you go with the? Would you leave the 240 or leave the 97 um, Peloton hoodie? Which one would you take, the 240 hoodie or the 97? You could get a. Um, let me think about that. I mean, we're, we're, what that, you're going to try to accomplish with your next layer is, and the reason to think about the 240 is, if it's cold out and windy, even if you're hiking, it's nice to be able to throw on something that's going to break, you know, give you some wind resistance. It doesn't just blow through yeah. through your yeah. core and cool you down. And that's the advantage yeah. of like a, a 240 or something like that. And I would, I would bring both. Um, I wouldn't bring one or the other. I would bring both. I mean, yeah, the the ninety seven virtually weighs nothing, so it weighs five it ounces. Is, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's worth it right it's here. Worth in my it. hand. Yeah, yeah. and that bring, bring I bring the, the, the hoodie version too. Of that. Is that the sun protection aspect of mm -hmm. being able to pop that up and you know, because I hear the sun's intense, and I'm pretty keen to get in sunburn and what have yep. you. So, no, I'd bring. Okay, I would yeah. bring. I would bring the 97 and the 240 for sure. Okay. Okay, I've made that little note here. I've actually just thrown it in my pile here. <laughs> and then for uh, me, like on socks, I'll bring. I don't know if it, what's your what you, what are you doing for socks? How many pairs? I was thinking two pair. Yeah, and, and I think I'm that's fine for that. And hat. then having an extra. Yeah. Um, when I go up, if, like when I go to the Yukon in August, I'll bring, th I'll bring three pairs of socks. One I'm wearing, and two in my pack. But that that hunt in particular, the last time I was in there, we were in and out of rivers so much that an extra pair of socks um, I didn't have. I, I'm going to bring on on this upcoming hunt just to have uh, an extra pair. That if my socks aren't dry from the day before, I've got to always have a dry pair to put my feet in. But for the hunt you're going on, I think, um, and just having one extra pair of socks will be plenty. Okay. Um, for bottoms, I'm doing obviously Chugach rain pant. The after looking at this weather, I want to wear the Tiburon pant um, on this hunt, but especially if it was going to be hot. The first couple of days looks like it's going to be in the 70s. Um, and the other option I was thinking of taking the attack pant, what would you do? Would you wear the Tiburon with the weather I told you? Would you wear the Tiburon or the attack? You know, I, I think I told you Tiburon, but after hearing that weather, I would probably go to the attack. Would you? I think so. Because it's not. Yeah, it sounds like you're getting I mean, some unseasonably not, cool weather. If it's in the 60s at Norman Wells, it's going to be in the 50s where you're hunting. And, you know, and if you got wind and that temperature, you know, it just blows right through those Tiburons, you know, I, I, I would probably go to the attack. Okay. Uh, and then the uh, zip-off uh, merino wool um, long underwear. I'm going with the lightweight. I think it's the 145. I'm not taking the 200. What yeah, are your you thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. The lighter weight merino zip-off bottoms all you're going to need. 
Okay, and then obviously the underwear. We talked about the sock. Um, Kuyu climbing belt, Yukon Gator, Scarpa Rebel K boot. Um, one thing, uh, I went up a half a size, and that's been just awesome. Um, when I went on the goat hunt last year, I took the size 11, and I'm a size 11 in every, you know, forever. I've been a size 11. And so I ordered the Rebel Ks, and they were just a little tight in the toe box last year. So I went up a half a size, and it's just made a huge difference. From a sizing standpoint, is that just, you know, scarf? It's just European. That's just, you know, maybe European boots fit a little smaller. Have you ever heard that? Or do you go up a half size? Or where, how does your... Um, you know, for the, work, Re- for the Rebel, yeah, for the Rebel Ks, I actually, last year I did what you did. I ordered a 12 because that's what I always, always wore. And it was fine, although I did notice that, my, like you noticed, my toes were a little closer to the end than I, than I typically like in a boot. And I went up a half a size this year on the Scarpas, and, it, and it's, it's what I recommend for everybody to do on that boot. Other Scarpas yeah. in the past, I haven't had to do that, but for, for whatever reason, um, that boot, I recommend going up a half a size just like you did. Yeah. Okay, and are and you running super feet in them? I'm not. Um, I'm actually running another, what the heck are they called? Air, let's see. Um, I'd have to look, but I really like I really like them. Um, I, I took yeah, some sort of aftermarket and, insole makes a big difference. Yeah, um, I found it, the additional arch support for descending and side hilling makes a huge difference in that boot. In all boots, having uh, aftermarket insoles. I don't know why, for whatever reason, the boot companies don't make a high quality performance insole, but they just don't. You don't. Think that- I mean, don't you think that that just adds a whole nother cost level? And when they're, you know, you guys are trying to be competitive with, you know, you have a custom insole, you can say custom insole, but really you're, then you're, you know, $40, $50 higher than any boot out there. And so I think from a, it's almost like they all do it. Yep. No, that's the exact reason, Jay. It's additional cost and trying to be competitive. Um, that's why I always recommend an aftermarket uh, insole, like a Superfit or a Sole or whatever brand. Uh, yeah, it is Sole. That's, that's, what, that's yep. what I have is the Sole. Mm-hmm. Um, they make a good insole. But I've talked to Brendan about this, but I just want to go over it one more time. Um, I haven't done a ton of creek crossings, um, you know, with the system of the gator, the rain pant, the pant, and trying to determine, okay, what type of creek, what type of river am I, you know, taking this off, and what type am I trying to, you know, scurry across? Um, in your mind, and I actually got the little, um, I ordered a couple of Velcro straps that, that um, Brendan said if you put one down, you know, right over your gaiter between your rain pant and your boot, you can actually create a little bit of a seal there. So I ordered these real lightweight Velcro straps. Like, is it even, I mean, you just seek um, streams and creeks and you just boogie across, you don't even think about it? Or at what point do you say, hey, I need to put my, you know, my camp shoes or my water shoes on and I'm going to roll my pants up? And when do you take the time to do that, I guess is what I'm asking. So, yeah, I don't even bring the system Brendan does. Um, what, I'll, what, I'll do, what I do, and maybe it's just because I'm, I'm lazy, I just, if the, if the creek, it depends on the depth of the creek and how, far across you have to go um if it's 
for me, if it's if it's going above my knees, I'm going, and it's a and it's a really wide crossing. Then I'm taking off. I'm taking the time to to put on a pair of lightweight trail running shoes, and crossing that way. If it's if it's you can get across in four or five steps, and yeah. and it's a you know at your knee level or even potentially even higher than that, I'll run across. I don't right. even bother to do the rain pant part of it. The DWR and like your attack pants will will get you through. Plus, they dry so fast. Um, if it's you know knee deep and below, I typically try to run across unless it's just a really wide crossing, and then uh, you know then I'll consider. Uh, you know, taking the time to put on my trail running shoes and cross, but you can get across okay. um, a lot of creeks without with with our gaiters and boots without even doing the Velcro straps, just because of how form fitting our gaiters are, because they stretch and yeah. just you know high step across as fast as you can and get to their side. It's it's surprising how how dry your feet will remain, even though the the depth of the, of the creek is up you know is up to almost your knees. Yeah, and that's one of the things when I was trying, you know, trying the gaiters and the rain pant and getting everything on, and it's I get them tight, and those gaiters are nice and tight, and you know, but I thought for you know just being anal like I am, I thought well I can throw an, a, a Velcro strap on there and add just a little bit more um, of a yeah. feel. Um, and for me, like what, stopping and and put and you know taking my gaiters off and putting on the rain pants and then putting those Velcro straps on, I just throw instead of doing all that, I just throw on my trail running shoes and cross if that's the situation. Um, yeah. And I like to bring an extra. I I like bringing a trail running shoe, just to you know have around a, a camp if your feet are sore in your boots to to get out of your boots. Some guys bring Crocs versus trail running shoes. I bring trail running shoes because. I've got an extra set of footwear I could actually do something in. If I had an issue with a boot or I got a severe blister and I just couldn't be in my boots for a day, at least I got something that's that I can use to hike and travel in, which you can't do with a croc very easily in that country. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna take. Um, it's it's. I haven't decided yet, but I've got my Icon Pro 7200 packed here. Um, but it's either going to be the Icon Pro 7200 or the Ultra 7000. Um, the Ultra 7000 obviously is a little bit lighter, has a few less pockets, has a few less straps and such. On your next hunt, with I know you've taken the Ultra 6000 a lot. What are you going to be taking? So I took the Ultra 7000 to test it last year in BC. It's my new favorite sheep hunting pack. And that's okay. what I'll we'll be taking this year. It's a little bit lighter, um, and for me, it's exactly what I need size-wise. Organization now, it's got you know those in two internal um, stretch pockets, which we didn't have in the six thousand. So you can organize and store all your gear, um, similar to what you do with the seven thousand or seventy-two hundred. And I just like the lighter weight. The more it's a more streamlined pack. So going through the brush. And it's, it, it travels better through that type of those types of situations. And for me, it's like the perfect, perfect sheep hunting pack for me doing 10 to 14 days. And it's what I recommend for you too. Okay. Um, do you unless say, you just I've love that 70? Unless you just love the 7200, which some guys do, and the, the way it's set up. Um, well, I've personal, it personal so preference. Long. It's, it's mm-hmm. been my go-to pack, but it it would be fun just to take the new one. Um, 
Do you ever take a bug face net? Nope, I just bring lots of deep. <laughs> okay. I, I can't stand uh, a bug face net. Okay. Uh, I've got a, obviously a rifle holder, glassing pad, um, packed rain cover. I'm taking a 30-degree super down sleeping bag. Yep. Uh, the Neo, the Neo Air sleeping pad. I know you guys go with those half pads. I'm actually, um, I'm the only one, one that does I'm, that. I'm, <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'm stretching on that. It goal, saves me so. five ounces. That's why, but it's not, you know, it's not for everybody. Yeah, yeah. I'm definitely taking the full pad. Uh, let's see, platypus, two-liter water bladder, uh, Kuyu balaclava. Um, that was one thing that I have sitting here. And it's like, you know, it hardly weighs anything. I have, I'll have my Merino neck gaiter. I'll have my Peloton 240. Do you think that that is something that I should take or leave at home? And, you know, leave I'll, I'll probably be taking it on, on the um, shoe gatch hunt for sure. Yeah, you won't need it. I'll okay. leave it behind. Okay. Um, Havlon with uh, 10 blades. Uh, Brendan recommended a long spoon, which I got. Uh, mm -hmm. he, does, he doesn't like getting his fingers uh, in his mountain house, so that I'm going to try the long spoon for once. Absolutely. Uh, one liter Nalgene bottle, uh, one liter pea bottle, seven roll top dry bags, uh, two small, three medium, two large, um, two zip dry bags. Uh, one small boned-out meat bag and one uh, medium bone-in meat bag, trekking poles, and the two-person Mountain Star tent. Mm -hmm. How, why so many dry bags? Oh, that was one question I was going to ask you. I have my rain gear in one bag. I have my extra uh, shirt and, you know, my, my Peloton hat and da-da-da in a bag. I have all these little bags. You put all like your extra clothes in basically one bigger bag, or would you rather have a bunch of the little extra small and small bags within your pack? Uh, it depends on. So my super down, ultra down jacket and pant will be in one. Yep, That's always. Because it's never, never leaving my pack. My spare shirt and spare socks will be in another small one because if you set yep. camp and you're going to hunt from, from camp, it stays in your tent. Um, I don't put it, my rain gear in a dry bag. There's no need to. Okay. And that was one thing. I, I did put my rain gear yesterday in the dry bag, and I was like, why am I doing this? So you don't for sure. Mm -mm. And then it's if it's like my Peloton, you know, any extra, you need a bag for like your Peloton um, 240 or 97. I'll put in the dry bag. Okay. So I'd have three separate bags. Okay. Uh, do you carry your and then your sleeping bag and then your sleeping bag obviously goes in one as well. Yeah. And do you, I've got my sleeping bag, let's see, I think it's in a medium. Yep. It's basically the whole, you know, the whole bag. A general rule of thumb, when you're rolling those tops down, do you want like two turns of the roll top, yep. you know, to have maximum exactly. waterproof? Okay. Yep. Yep. 
Okay, and then do you put your mountain houses in your um, meat bag to just serve as a dual purpose? So I bring two medium two, or two medium meat bags, boned out meat okay. bags, zip tops, mm-hmm. um, and that will one will hold ten days worth of mountain house breakfast and dinners, and the mm-hmm. other one will hold ten days. Well, you can get a little bit more than ten days. You can get up to fourteen days in, in each one. But uh, then another one of those for my lunches. Okay. Pre-packed lunches. Like your, your and, day bag type of thing. Yep, my day bags. And they okay. hold them perfectly. And the nice thing about those, they're the long, narrow ones, and the the two uh, two of them will sit perfectly on the back portion of your pack. And that's where you okay. want the, your food's going to be your heaviest weight in your pack, so that can go right up along the, you know, closest to the frame. And you, if you use those internal compression straps, in your pack, you can cinch those to the back portion of your pack. So I'll put my, you know, I'll put my thermorest at the very bottom of my pack, my sleeping bag, and then I'll put the two food bags on top of those, you know, uh, in my pack, and then strap them to the back panel, and then everything else gets um, put on top of that as I'm packing my pack. Okay, so in other words, that food, it, you use those straps so that it's secure and tight up against your back, up against the frame, mm-hmm. or you want you want that heavy. You know the weight. You know where it's not jostling around. Yep. You want it and not pretty, in the bottom. So that's solid. why I put my sleeping bag. Yeah, and I put my sleeping bag in the bottom to keep the weight from sitting that low. You don't want it at the bottom okay. of your pack. And that works. That's a great. It works perfectly. And then if you're going to drop camp and you're going to you're going to set camp and hunt from you know the next day, you pull those food bags out um, or those meat bags with your food in it, and they just stay in the tent. And um, and you know the guide will bring. He'll bring trash bags. They like to put the meat in trash bags to just get them out of the mountain, um, you know, from the kill site back to camp. And um, and usually they'll, they'll so they'll they'll cut cut up the meat and put it in trash bags, roll it up, and throw it in your pack. And obviously, you don't want to store your meat for a long period of time in trash right. garbage bags, but it keeps their packs clean. Um, and that's usually you know I don't even I won't even bring. Um, boned out meat bags with me on, on if I'm dropping camp and, and hunting for the day because they're going to have garbage bags they like to put it in. And it's better for the the super cub as well, not getting blood in the super cub, et cetera. Okay. Okay. Um, one thing I asked Brendan about the Mountain Star tent, I have the footprint as well, and he's like, I don't use the footprint. Do you use the footprint for your tent? No, you won't need it. Don't bring it. Don't bring Save the weight. Okay. okay. Um, then I'm using, for optics and gear, the Kuyu Bino system uh, with the rangefinder holder. I've got the Swarovski EL10x42s. I've got the Outdoorsman's Bino adapter. I am taking a lightweight, uh, slick 614 tripod with the uh, Outdoorsman's micro pan head. Mm-hmm. Um, two lens cleaners. My rangefinder's a Leupold RX1200. Uh, I'm taking a Swarovski 65 STX spotting scope. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, the slick is a 613 tripod with the Outdoorsman's micro head. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't weighed it, but it's super light. Um, yeah, they're super light. My sat phone, my iPhone X with the phone scope adapter, uh, for a small first aid kit, uh, toothbrush and paste, chat, extra chapstick. Um, small lighter and fire starter, um, mm-hmm. and then I've got a couple of waterproof 
or water resistant, if you will, little matches, just a couple of them, mm -hmm. earplugs, 15 foot of paracord, sunglasses, bug spray, and I think that's it. That's my list. Yeah, I don't. I, I used to carry paracord. I no longer carry because I've never used it. But, yeah. you know, that's, again, personal preference. And then I've heard guys say to bring an extra shoelace. And I thought having case, that paracord, if, if I had to bring an extra shoelace, instead of bringing an extra shoelace, I could double and use that paracord if I needed to hang something on that cord. Yeah, I mean, it's not, I mean, it doesn't weigh anything. I just, you know, what, what I've done over the years is just eliminate anything I've never used. And that, weed that, weed that, out stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, having some, some cords isn't necessarily a terrible thing. It doesn't weigh much. Um, shoelace, shoelaces, if you ever do break a lace, just tie it back in a knot. I've... I've never had an issue with that. The other, the other thing, the only thing that, uh, and I don't know if you have it, uh, and we just haven't gotten there, is I always bring an extra hip belt buckle for the packs. Ooh, always good thinking. We've, I mean, we use Duraflex. Okay. Our our hip belt uh, buckles are are incredibly strong, but I have broken one um, in the past. Yeah, I mean, you could step on it and break it if. If, you can, I mean, can lot you can step on it. You can drop your pack and break it. Um, and not having one is really, really sucks. Oh yeah. And if you don't you have you know, no so way to fasten your hip belt, and then your you don't. your way to support it on your shoulders and the not match. on your hips. Yep. Always bring an extra hip belt buckle. Okay. And you can harvest one off of whatever pack you know. If you've got if you've if you've got an extra pack, one of ours, just throw in, throw in an extra hip-up buckle so you can replace it if you need to. If you need okay, one, yeah, I can make overnight it to you. No, I've got my extra pack here. I can, I'm can. i just writing it down. That's actually a great idea. I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. Okay, um, Jason, as far as um, in the Mountain Star two-person, I love that tent. Um, when you set up your tent at Arctic Red, I, from what I understand, we're going to be basically camping down in the glaciated bottom in, for, for the most part. Mm -hmm. um, what do you look for in a campsite as far as, you know, where to set your tent, and how far do you set your tent from your guides or other people? Usually it's, it's just dependent on where you're setting your tents up and where a flat spot is or a place you can put your tent um, compared to the guide's. Sometimes you can put them close together, or sometimes you don't have an option other than putting them close together. Or other times you can spread them out a little bit, or you're forced to spread it out because there's just there's not two flat spots to put tents um, close together. More of it's just what's available, more so than you know needing to be close to the guide because you know of bear worrying about bears or anything like that. It's more just you know f finding something that's really flat. Because it always, it, it, when I don't take the time to do that, I always regret it. Because you end up sliding either one way or the other uh, based on the slope of <laughs> the, the slope of of where you put your tent. Um, yeah. The other thing is, depending on how exposed you are, making sure that uh, you're not just staking your tent, but you're finding big rocks to place over the top of your stakes at every spot you stay. Sometimes in the bottom, you can get really good ground to put your stakes in, but I'd still recommend at least putting rocks on several of the, the either the guy outline stakes 
or the base of your tent. But um, and if you're up high and exposed, you want to really take the time to really secure your stakes with lots of big, heavy rocks over the top of them. Because it can, is there, you know, is there some of those winds up there can you... blow your tent off the mountain. Yeah, for sure. I mean, is there ever a time when you would actually bring, you know, rocks while you're gone in the four corners of your tent to to add any extra weight? Would you ever actually do that on the footprint? You know, the the base of or the bathtub of the tent? Would you ever bring it inside to to add a little weight there? I, I, if always if, if you yeah if if yeah you if it's a situation where you're exposed i do so much i put i find enough rocks and 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 put them over the top of my stakes um that i don't have to worry about putting rocks inside your tent um okay. i have it a situation where there was you know it was hard to find rocks and we had um and you know the getting the stakes in deep was tough, and so I I have done it a couple times where I put the rocks on, inside on the four corners, um, just to give extra security when we knew we had bad, really big weather coming in. We we're gonna be gone for the day, but um, most of the time you don't need to do that. Okay. Um, and then, as far as directional, if if, if you know you're going to be exposed and have a wind blowing in one certain direction. Do you want your feet pointing at that wind, or do you want your head pointing at where the wind is coming from? Well, you're going to, our tents, you know, they have that trapezoidal floor, um, and the narrow part of the trapezoidal floor is where your feet go, the, your head goes in the wider section, and our vestibules are set up um, directionally, so they both, you know, they both, um, you, you'd want to put the head of the tent or the wide part of the floor of the tent into the wind. Because of the way the vestibule is open, um, they block the wind. If you reverse it, they are going to act like a parachute in the wind because of the way they open up. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And both vestibules um, on the current tents are the same direction. Guys, I've got an awesome opportunity to tell you about. You can check out the Go Hunt Insider for free for a 30-day free trial right now. All you got to do is go to GoHunt, that's G-O-H-U-N-T dot com forward slash J Scott. Look for the blue Start Your Free 30-Day Trial button and click there. This is by far the most valuable tool a Western hunter could give themselves. Insider changes how hunts and hunting information are found. When you go in the Insider, you'll be able to check out the filtering 2.0 system. You'll also be able to check out the draw odds for each unit, for each animal, for each state. Go Hunt Insider has the best draw odds on the market as far as the most accurate. There's no one that gets as meticulous level of accuracy as Go Hunt Insider. You'll see there's complete coverage of 4,200 different profiles every unit every state, every species, every season, in-depth analysis, interactive maps, season trends, unit access, camping and lodging nearby, and historical weather. You'll also be able to see some of the additional benefits, the strategy articles on how to apply, let's say, in Arizona for elk, for antelope, for deer. You can go in there and see how in-depth they get it's an unbelievable opportunity, a free 30-day trial. They also do monthly giveaways. So just by being an Insider member, you get monthly giveaways. They give over $100,000 plus per year of giveaways, gear, tags, 
hunts. Another unbelievable thing about the Insider is the Go Hunt gear shop. So every time you buy something, you accumulate points. In, in essence, it's giving money back to the Insider. You might ask, well, how does this work with the Go Hunt Insider? How does the 30-day free trial work? You can sign up to try Insider's industry-leading hunting products free for 30 days. They do take your credit card information so that you can automatically become a member once you, your 30-day trial ends. You can cancel at any time during the 30-day free trial, and it doesn't cost you a dime. You might ask, how is this different from other resources out there? Insider provides analysis and tools for every unit, every species, and every hunt. In each state that they cover, they don't just cover the top 10 units. Their coverage is super in-depth, and you can find those hidden gem units, maybe something that the draw odds uh, are a little bit better, and maybe some quality it's slipped through the cracks, and you might find a great hunt there. Right now, Go Hunt Insider covers Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, Utah, and Wyoming. All you have to do is go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott and check it out now. Okay, um, I want to go through my uh, my day bag as far as my you know my what I'm going to eat during the day, um, and then I want to mm-hmm. ask you kind of about your hunt you're going on, and then talk to you about your experience at Arctic Red. So, uh, sure. kind of my day bag is I've got Honey Stinger Chews. You know, those um, like pink lemonade or strawberry flavors, 1.8 ounces. I've got a Pro Bar for each day, um, 3 ounces. I've got a Justin's Almond Butter, 1.15 ounce. Uh, Herky Jerky, who is actually a sponsor of the podcast. I've got uh, Venison Sticks, two, 2 sticks. You know, they're probably, Jason, they're like 10 inches. You know, they're like the, mm-hmm. these happen to be venison sticks, but they, you know, they come in beef. Um sure. A, hunter, a honey stinger uh, waffle, um, mm-hmm. which is 1.06. You wouldn't have that because that's carbs, right? Yep. I've used those in the past, so they're good as far as they okay. taste good. And then I have, I've broken the individual packets of herky jerky turkey and beef jerky. So I've mixed, um, you know, I think they're five ounces, or excuse me, four ounces per pack you know, just a little bit of turkey jerky and beef jerky. And then um, I've got macadamia nuts and almonds in the same bag. Uh, and then mm-hmm. I was going to take the dry salami. Um, Brendan recommended 10 uh, slices per, you know, per day. Um, my question in that is, in your individual day bag with your meats, would you split everything out so all you have to do is you know grab that bag for the day? In other words, I've got two packages of Italian you know dry salami and there's like 75. It, each each bag weighs about 15 ounces. So I figured for the first five days I'd have you know one pack and for the second um, group of five days I'd have another pack. Every day, would you go into that package, or would you ahead of time, you know, make your little clumps of uh, salami in their own bag? Is what I'm asking. I, I break every day down, so I don't have to do anything for the next day. Okay. So I don't have to. Um, okay. So yeah, I prepack every single day exactly. Um, I'll, I'll do it. I'll do it ahead of time. 
and okay, pre-packaging. Okay, so I've done all that except for the salami portion. I was kind of waiting. I'm, I leave Wednesday, so I was figuring tomorrow I would just add each, um, you know, baggie of salami in each of my day bags. Yeah. Um, is there any Have concern you... with... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Is there any concern with, you know, the salami having quite a bit of smell with bears and what have you? Like, leave, obviously, I'll have opened it to put it in my little day bags, and each one of my day bags will be in its own little Ziploc, and it'll be zipped, and it's going to be in my tent while we're off hunting during the day. Is that a concern, to leave it in your tent? No, they're going to smell it through. Your... No matter what it's packaged in, a bear can smell it. Okay. So... Yeah, that that wouldn't be something I'd be worried about. Um, the only thing with so t- take me through is so is that your day? Is that everything in your day bag? Yeah. That enough? Are you do you eat a lot of salami and beef sticks? Yeah, I I do in general. Um, I do. I eat. Okay. I don't eat a lot of bread, but I do eat a lot of meat. Okay. Is it yeah? Too much the, meat, do you think for me salami if, after. Ten days of eating it, I, I get to the point where I can't stand it anymore. Um, but that's just per, you know a lot of this is personal choice and what you like yeah. and what you are accustomed to eating. And um, mm-hmm. you know, eating for me, eating um, beef sticks and, and that much salami day in and day out would yeah wouldn't agree with my stomach. Um, so what would you do? It, it's a great choice. I would just bring more nuts, more you know bars that are high in fat and, and have the right carbohydrate mix. Um, cheeses, obviously, and foods like that. For me, personally, just salami gives me heartburn. And um, okay. I don't mind eating it maybe for a day, but to eat it day in and day out. Ten days I, in a row. I brought it, and I end up not eating it. <laughs> okay. Um, okay. But if you're, if you're used to eating it and you like it, it's a great source for fat. For sure. Okay. All right. Um, let's move on to... Wait, real quick, though. Have you weighed your food? Like, have you put a, your food for a day, your breakfast, your food bag, and your meat, and your dinner, uh, and weighed it? What's it coming in at? I, ha- I do not have a total weight because I've been working on it this morning. Um, I have the weight of most everything. The only thing that I don't have is like I haven't divvied up the individual salami um, or the beef sticks for the day. Um, yep. But I'm, from my calculations, I think I'm right at two pounds. Okay. And um, what I'd maybe think about on this hunt, Jay, in particular, because not, it's not going to get dark. You may want to mm-hmm. be at two and a quarter pounds of food. Okay. Just so basically be daylight more. I would probably throw in another pro bar in what you're okay. in into your daily kit because okay because I'm not that, taking uh, any like um, candy bars. Brendan had said you know a lot of guys take you know two or three candy bars. Well, I don't eat candy bars. Yep. You know, in my I mean I like them and I'd love to eat them, but mm-hmm. I just don't eat them. So I don't want to take that kind of stuff. I nope, do, I, would, I, I do either. have to admit, I do have to admit for my guilty pleasure, in each one of my day bags, I have, you know, the Almond Joy, the little Halloween size, you know, just the .6 ounce, just the one little sliver of Almond Joy. 
I do have one of those in each day pack just for kind of something to look forward to. Sure. Is that dumb? No, that's a good thing to do. Nope. <laughs> no, absolutely not. It's not okay. dumb. Um, I, I just think you, you, the the trip you're going on and the length of the days you're going to have, you may want to throw an extra pro, pro bar in there and be at like two and a quarter pounds per day. Okay, because I two really pounds a day will get like, you through, like but it's bar. tight. I mean, you're going to be hungry. Okay. And if you've got I a like really long bars. tough day, have yeah, having an extra bar is 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 a good thing. Okay, and then one thing also with Arctic Red. Um, they are going to do a five-day food drop. So, in other words, Jason, I'm going to actually take six, you know, six-day bags and six mountain houses in case, and, it, you know, for whatever reason, I could always ration that out if I had to, but they're going to do a food drop. So I've got a, all my daily bags and all my mountain houses in the, in the, you know, second drop, you know, in a Kuyu zip bag. My question for you is, since you know he's going to, you know, drop that bag, would you would you put a little extra in that, even if when they dropped it, you just sat there and ate like a freaking horse? And, I mean, you could always, you know, just throw some of the stuff on the ground if you just, you know, had too much. Is there, I mean, <laughs> obviously you don't want to drop some freaking bomb, but would you make the second go-around of food that's coming a little bit more... Because you're not carrying um, the they're, first five Well, days. they're gonna the food. The food they're gonna drop for you is a ton. They're gonna drop a big bag of homemade cookies. They'll have um, a lot of times. They'll they'll drop like a they actually will make like a some sort of dessert besides the cookies. They'll drop a, a loaf of heard like fresh an made bread and butter. Yeah. They're gonna. I mean, you. They're gonna drop a ton of food for you, and okay. usually uh, they'll sit down and, and eat it all at that point. <laughs> Um, you may have some you can you can pack the next day, but the one thing I wouldn't do is is leave any of your food kit for them to drop for you. I would bring it all with okay, you. Yeah, you would. Because okay. if there's bad weather, if they can't get to you, you're now doing a six day hunt and not a ten day hunt. Right. Right. And okay. um, it's 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 something I never recommend doing. And. Okay. I've learned my lesson on it. I've learned my lesson on it at, um, in the past on a hunt, thinking they could drop, and um, for whatever reason they couldn't get to us, or um, or they've just got a lot of guys that got to get in and out, and they delay your food drop to day seven, which can happen, or weather. Now you're out of food, so I right. always recommend bringing all your food with you, and then the okay. food drops just extra when they get there. Get the bonus. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, let's talk because about... Because otherwise your um, hunt ends on day six no matter what. <laughs> they can't get to you. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good point. I'm glad you said that. Let's talk about um, your first trip to Arctic Red. Um, I'm flying into Norman Wells, and then I, I've i got a room at that uh, Heritage Inn, but they said if the weather's good, pretty much bet that they're going to just take you the, the charter flight from... Norman Wells right into base camp, and then if the weather's good again, they're going to just try and get you, most of the time, Tavis is going to try and get you out into the field. Was that your experience when you went? Are you overnighting in Norman Wells and then flying into base camp the next day? Well, what they've said is, obviously, I'll go Edmonton to Yellowknife, Yellowknife to Norman Wells, and they said, be prepared 
uh, I think I get in at like four o'clock or something like that. They said, be prepared to stay that night in Norman Wells, but if the weather's good, the charter will go ahead and bring you to camp, and if the weather's still good, we'll try and get you right out in, into camp. Oh, that's and some awesome. of the guys that I've had on the podcast have said, yeah, I wasn't expecting when I landed in Norman Wells, there was a guy waiting saying, let's go. And, you know, they said, we didn't, you know, we were planning on having a full night to, you know, rearrange gear. So my plan is to, to have everything ready when I hit the ground in Norman Wells in case they say, yeah, go. But I also have a room reserved, which, you know, I'll just have to eat that money if it, you know, if, if we go, but then I'll get to get out earlier, which it would be awesome anyway. How, do you remember how it was mm -hmm. when you went? Yeah, because you're on the first hunt. They can actually, when you get there, they can put you right on the charter and fly you in. Normally, it's it's a hunt change, right? So you got hunters coming out of base camp and hunters going in. So you, um, they always have you overnight because of that in Norman Wells, um, and then fly in the next day. So, and w um, when you do fly in from Norman Wells, you're, I go in fully dressed, ready to walk off the plane from at, when it lands at base camp, right into the Super Cub and right into the mountains. So I'm in full kit, everything on, gators on, um, ready to right go hunting. Uh, when you when you yeah. when you when you fly in on the charter, some yeah. guys will bring you know a duffel bag with their stuff and they'll change at the cabins. I prefer just to be ready to roll. But again, I've overnighted Norman Wells, so uh, if you are getting off your main flight and jumping right onto the charter, um, you probably won't be dressed. But I would have everything completely organized so you can load your pack. You know, you don't have to go figure, start loading up your pack when you get to base camp. That you can be um, ready to right. go as soon as you can. Yeah. Right. Okay, and, and then, then the first flight in, if that's the case. Yeah, and then as far as travel, I'm going to back up a second. The Teku bags, um, do you actually put your pack fully loaded in the Teku bag, or is all your stuff, you know, your your dry bags and all your stuff that goes in your pack in your Teku, and then you're actually carrying your backpack on the plane? So as soon as you get there, all you got to do is out of your Teku, all you got to do is just put your, um, you know, your everything that you have and all the to you dry bags and stuff in the pack you know for what you're doing i'd pre-pack my pack and throw it in, in either you can probably get a, your pack uh, probably into a 5500 but the you know the big take you 9000 designed for a fully loaded pack ready to go to drop in it and zip it shut okay and throw it on and, you and check it in so you would say just have it just ready to rock, put it in the I would. 9000 and just be ready to roll. I would. That's what I do for for your situation. Then you don't have to worry about it. Okay. If I know I'm going to overnight, then I'll, you know, I, I won't necessarily Take pack the pack advance. Yeah. And I may have okay. some stuff in it, you know, you know, my first aid kit and, you know, those types of things are already in the pockets. But, um, you know, I may not, you know, pre-pack the pack and put in my duffel bag. But for what you're doing and the opportunity to turn right around and get on a charter and fly into base camp, it's nice to have everything pre-organized. You're not rushing and right. either missing something or shoving stuff in places you normally wouldn't because you're, you're rushed to get onto the Super Cub and flown in. It's right. nice to have that and time. And especially being my first time. Everything perfectly. 
yeah, and that's like especially being my first time getting you know doing the super cub and doing all that kind of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like having everything totally ready would be better, and I'd have a better peace of mind knowing I've packed every yep. everything's in here, everything's ready to go. Yep, because when you're in a hurry, you can leave a dry bag gets shoved somewhere or shoved under. You have bunks in your in your. Um, cabin you're standing you got guys in there you know pushing and you know unpacking stuff and packing stuff and it's easy to have something get shoved under one of the bunk yeah. beds or get hidden in your duffel bag you just don't see it because you're in a rush trying to get everything loaded i just like the peace of mind that's already done it's ready to roll i just you know show up yeah. pull my pack out and I'm, I'm walking onto the super cub and i'll tell you base camp will appreciate it yeah okay uh talk about times, times money for them yeah, talk about Arctic Red. Um, you know your experiences as far as compared to other camps. Um, talk about the terrain. Talk about mm-hmm. you know the flight from Norman Wells to base camp, like I- any of that kind of stuff. Uh, compared to some of your other sheep hunts, maybe some of the differences. Compare, contrast, mm-hmm. etc. Yeah, I mean the flight, the, the charter flight in from Norman Wells. You don't be on a bigger, you don't be on a big plane. I think it's uh, like a twin otter with all the hunters that are going into base camp together. That's always kind of fun. It's, if I remember right, it's a little over an hour into base camp, maybe a little, hour and a half if I remember right. Um, and, um, you know, Tavis runs a really, really organized operation. Um, they, they are first class in how, how they operate uh, Arctic Red. It's, they've got a reputation for a reason. The uh, the one of the things I really like about hunting Northwest Territories is the McKenzie Mountains and and there it's a beautiful mountain range it's a big mountain range but it's an older mountain range so unlike what you'll face in the Chugach it's a really hunter friendly type of terrain it's got a lot of sheep habitat a lot of big you know wide valleys depending on where you go. And some really cool, you know, cut up terrain in other areas. Traveling through that country is is really hunter friendly. And the fact that you're not going to face, you know, head high alders like you will in Alaska. You have to go break brush and pound through stuff for hours just to get up where you can see. Um, you, you have the valleys, like I said, are wide. They're fairly open. You can have timber in some of the valleys, but for the most part, it's wide open, big basins. You know, you got high peaks. There'll be areas with cliffs and nasty broken rock, and you know, tons and tons of just incredible sheep habitat. And um, it's got a really high population of mountain caribou. And the good thing about having a high population of mountain caribou, there's lots of trails to travel on because of that, and because of the mountain caribou migration, which makes traveling through that country easier. Like where I go in the Yukon, is it borders Arctic Red, where I'll be in August. But for whatever reason, they don't have a high population of mountain caribou. So the country we travel through, it's hard to find a trail. I mean, and um, and because of that, it makes it a really you know physically challenging hunt because you're walking a lot of broken, steep stuff without a trail. So you just it, it wears you out. Where Arctic Red, you're gonna you're gonna ha- have you know caribou trails to follow and travel through the country, and um, it's it's a, it's an absolutely beautiful place. And you know Tavis. You know, he uh, he operates Arctic Red as a traditional style hunt, meaning he doesn't pre-scout. He doesn't have. He's not going to send you to go hunt a particular ram. You are going to get flown in with a guide 
to an area that has traditionally held rams in the past and has um, has produced rams on a consistent basis, and then you're going to go for 10 days, go hunt that area, and find a ram that you want to hunt and kill uh, versus going in and hunting a specific um, a specific animal. And I like that about it. Um, and I don't know if you saw the pictures last year, but they had a really, really good run on really big rams last year. And I was talking to Tavis about it. Yeah. And, it, and um, there was a really good lamb production, you know, eight to ten years ago in that area. And you're going to see it on this year too. And all those, all that lamb production is producing some really high quality rams. Yeah, I'm pumped. It's, it was awesome to see, you know, all, you know, Brian Rimza, uh, Brad and Travis Weist. You know, we did a podcast, you and I, with them. A um, mm-hmm. bunch of different guys went last year, and the success, you know, people shot some big rams. So it's, it's exciting to know that, uh, you know, one would say, oh, well, maybe they shot them all. I mean, it's a huge area, and, you know, I'd rather be – sandwiched around a good year than have them go oh it was a rough year because you, you know things are looking good if they had a good year last year more than likely they'll beat some good rams around this year and um the I'm excited, you know, i've is, never seen a dog yeah. never even seen one jason so like oh, i'm going to enjoy sure. every bit of it and um yep. super super fun yeah, that area is massive. I mean, it is absolutely massive. And there's sheep that die of old age in Arctic Red every single year uh, because they just don't get hunted. And you don't have to worry about the fact they shot a bunch of big ones last year and there's not going to be any big ones left. There is so much country in there. And there's so many. And it's got a really high density of sheep and lots of sheep. Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's a good thing. Yeah, from a, from a standpoint of, you know, daily hunting with that much daylight, Obviously, I typically eat it, you know, when I wake up, I eat around noon, and then I eat around 6 p.m. Do you change your eating habits at all? And maybe that's why you're telling me to take a little bit more food because there's more daylight. I mean, do you still typically, when you wake up, you know, pound that breakfast skillet, and then, you know, you know, how do you space out when you eat, or do you try and stay as much on your normal schedule sure. as possible? One of the things I love about hunting sheep up north is because the days are so long, you don't get up at at first light. Um, you'll sleep yeah. in till seven or eight. You get up, have breakfast. You don't drink coffee, but usually sit around, have coffee, hang out, and you know nine o'clock start kind of packing stuff up and and start hunting about ten in the morning because the days are so long. And then you'll hunt into the evenings, and you know. A lot of times coming back at camp at 10 or 11 o'clock at night. And okay. um, so I, one of the things I love is you, you get a lot of really good night's sleep. Unlike going elk hunting or hunting in the lower 48 where, you, you know, you're getting up at 4 in the morning or 5 in the morning, hunting all day, getting back at night, eating dinner, and then, you know, only getting 5 or 6, 7 hours of sleep or 5 or 6 hours of sleep. On a sheep hunt, you get a full night's sleep and you're not in a rush to go, you know, hurry up in the morning and, and go hunt. And it's, it's an aspect of sheep hunting that I love. And, um, and uh, yeah, you'll, it's, it's nice to be able to get every, every single night, get a full night's sleep and let your body recover, and you'll need it. From a behavioral standpoint, as far as on this first hunt, I mean, 
like you know how normal goose deer mule deer elk whatever you know hunting lower 48 like you know prime times the first two hours and the last two hours of white with dull sheep i mean they seem like they're fairly visible do you ever notice that hey you know after breakfast and you know the first couple hours is usually you spot more than say you know during the middle of the day or the afternoon or is it pretty much just a free-for-all as far as you know spotting stuff you can see them at any given time you'll they'll get up and feed on and off throughout the day because it is light almost 24 hours while you're there the cooler temperatures like you're going to get which is a good thing they could be up feeding and moving on and off all day long if it's hot out, they'll, you know, a lot of times bed down during the heat of the day somewhere. And then, you know, evening time is when you'll see a lot of, a lot of your activity. On, on, but you're with, with cooler temperatures and the length of the days you'll have, they'll be up and down all day long. Um, and, you know, so it's really an opportunity to find sheep is, is wide open. Um, in the summer, that July hunt, the sheep are going to be up higher. And usually your hunt, hunting the higher country as the summer goes along and heads towards september the sheep will start moving out of the high stuff and start moving down to prepare for the migration so i'd imagine your guys will go to an area he puts people on that first hunt in places that um are really only for that first hunt where the sheep are a little bit more concentrated way up high because of the bugs and the heat and um so you'll be hunting some country that that he won't hunt except for that first that first uh that first hunt because of the sheep concentrations up high good stuff good stuff um man we've covered a lot of ground i can't i can't think of anything we've missed um do you have any last um minute advice or um any final conclusions yeah Uh, you always recommend to people pace yourself on your first sheep hunt if the guide's walking faster than you like to walk let them don't try to think you need to keep up with them Set your own pace and manage that pace. And there will be days where it's mentally tough. There'll be times when you're sitting there going, "Why? Why am I here? Why? You know, why? Did, why did I sign myself up for this? Is it worth it?" And it is. Um, just grind through it. You know, there's always a, a mental stage in a hunt on day two or day three that a lot of guys crack and want to go home on. And those are the, you know, and we all go through it. I go through it. Um, just, you know, always staying mentally strong, making sure you're eating all your food, even if you don't feel like it because you're exhausted, and pacing yourself. It's a long endurance event. And um, I've seen guys, you know, really, I need to keep up with a guide and, and try to keep up with them, and they just end up getting physically tapped because of it. So and the guide has to wait for you. You're his client. <laughs> so make sure, make sure that, that you know, you, you keep that in mind when you're climbing or traveling through country. These guys are usually younger. It's what they do. And um, don't feel like you have to keep up with them. In fact, don't unless, unless he's walking the pace that you can keep up with. I think that's great advice. Um, tell me a little bit, and then, and then we'll conclude here. Tell me a little bit about the hunt uh, that you and Brendan are going on in August. Uh, that you guys have coming up. Yeah, we're going to be hunting Bonnet Plume. I hunted there, Brenda hunted there two years ago. We shot two giant rams. I think mine was 42 inches by 42 inches in length, and Brenda killed a 13-year-old slug of a broomer out of there. And uh, so we're going back. 
that country is it's the most rugged dull sheep country I've ever hunted you know, I haven't hunted the Chugach in Alaska but as far as um, the other dull sheep hunts I've done it's it's some really really straight up and down type of country the mountains are much younger than what you'll be hunting in the Mackenzie's it borders like I said Arctic Red and it's um, for me it's just it's a really unique spot it's really some really rugged tough tough hunt, hunting in there because of the terrain in the country and then you know we're always <laughs> Brent and I are always good for going to wherever we go hunt and say hey what areas have you not hunted because you have not had clients that can get in there and can we go hunt those places and you know it usually produces you know big rams because of it so you know, we'll, we're going in, we don't know exactly where that'll be yet, but Chris will usually have something that's picked out for us that that truly, truly will test us. And um, you know, we certainly had that experience the first the first time we hunted there, but it produced two giant rams. So, really looking forward to getting back in that country and, and testing ourselves and seeing seeing what the area that we're going to hunt and, and the conditions and challenges we'll face. And um, so, it'll be good. And we're going in there on the 8th of August, which is the second hunt in the Yukon. And um, see what we can pull out of there this year. Awesome, buddy. Well, um, I'll be back uh, at the end of July, and um, obviously I'll report in. And I really appreciate you hear about uh, it. having you on. Yeah, having you on, and I can't wait to share some photos and stories with you when I get back. And, um, yeah, and then... I'll be going with Lance uh, a couple weeks later, be headed to the Chugach. So I'm going to truly get uh, two experiences that are that are similar, but a, a lot of differences um, from what I understand Absolutely. with the terrain and the country and the sheep and, you know, with the Northwest Territories being kind of the flared out, you know, tippier, yep. you know, smaller base rams and then the big based uh, suckers of uh, the Chugach and potential Chugach. for maybe just a world-class ram. Um Pretty pretty awesome adventure to be able to, you know, do this uh, in one summer. It's pretty pretty phenomenal. So. Oh, as I say, the only thing better than a sheep hunt is two of them. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thanks for spending time. Um, congratulations Absolutely. on all your success at Kuyu, and thank you oh, for thanks. your support that uh, you've shown me Likewise. Uh, for the years. And um, it's uh, great, great gear, and uh, love being involved with such a great company and, and great guys. So, uh, with that, buddy, God bless, and I'll talk to you when I get back. Good luck, and enjoy it, and I can't wait to hear, hear your stories when you get back. It's going to change your life. All right, buddy. Really appreciate it, and uh, look forward okay. to sharing it with you when I get back, okay? All right. Have a good one. Okay, guys, I want to tell you about one of the new sponsors at the J. Scott Outdoors podcast, and I'm excited to tell you about this awesome team of dynamic realtors that I know very well. Dar Colburn, who has been my hunting and guiding partner for over 20 years, has partnered up with my nephew, Jay Pyburn, to create the Colburn-Pyburn team. If you're looking to buy or sell any real estate in the state of Arizona, you can't go wrong with the Colburn-Pyburn team. Dara and I have been in the real estate business for over 20 years together. And my nephew Jay is an up-and-coming realtor that has many sales under his belt and, and is a phenomenal resource for any person looking to buy or sell real estate in the state of Arizona. Just for the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast listeners, if you have any real estate needs at all, if you use the Colburn-Pyburn team, you're going to get a $500 gift certificate from any retail shop of your liking. Q 
Kuyu, Outdoorsman's, Sportsman's Warehouse, Cabela's, Amazon, you name it. $500 if you use the Colburn Pyburn team and they sell one of your properties that you either buy or sell, you get a $500 gift certificate. All you got to do is send an email to colburnpyburnteam at gmail.com and get your real estate needs taken care of. That's C-O-L-B-U-R-N-P-Y-B-U-R-N team, colburnpyburnteam at gmail.com.